So welcome to the postscript. Welcome to the postscript. You have been scripted for posts. Welcome. And welcome to you. And a welcome to you too. I've been watching some some remakes or some uh, a book to series adaptations lately. Ah, right. Uh, I don't know if, if you watched the Cowboy Bebop live action series. Well, I started watching a little bit, actually, because I hadn't seen so much of the anime. So I went back and watched a few episodes of that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch some more of that. I think before, but I heard the reception wasn't great. I stopped after one episode. It's kind of a mixed bag. Like a lot of the props and scenery and art direction and stuff is pretty cool and yeah. and very close to the original. Yeah, it looks like it. And the actors, I think, do a very good job. Mm. The problem is the script is terrible. Mm. The writing is so bad. The dialogue is some of the most cringe-inducing shit. And it really bothers me because the original series is so well-written. Like, the plots are so beautiful. The characters are just perfect. So I, too, went back and rewatched the original. And I don't really have enough good things to say about Cowboy Bebop, the anime. It's mm. so, so good. The music is brilliant yeah. uh, by Yoko Kano. Uh, a lot of, like, blues and Americana stuff and jazz. And, and it's, it feels very, like... American, despite being in a Japanese series. Yeah. It's then, very inspired by like spaghetti westerns mm. and sci-fi and like all these kind of American tropes. But, I, you know, I have a great fondness for that era of anime. Like when they're still kind of, technically, they, they're still kind of using a lot of, you know, plates moving on top of plates. Yes, like traditional this. animation. Some, a little bit of 3D graphics. Yeah, just the way they have a lot of these... Um, cyberpunk aesthetics with the machines it yeah. all looks grungy it's mechanical those worlds are beautiful yeah i was thinking about that actually re-watching cowboy Bebop, the anime mm. i would say the live action series actually does look kind of good at times at, at times it does look a bit like cosplay and mm. kind of cheap it's very strange mm. it feels like too many cooks uh, yeah. and like probably a hundred script writers uh. but in the anime the world is so well thought out like mm. everything feels so natural small details of the way the science fiction bounty hunter sort of western yeah. world works mm. it's so good like the equipment like all the little doodads and mm. the way like the mm. mechanical stuff works and it's not like it doesn't really feature in a major way like it's just a natural part of the yeah. universe uh, is it like based off a manga or something i don't think so mm. actually like most animes are based off mangas, mm. but I don't think that one is. Mm. I might be wrong about that. but Because uh, <laughs> yeah, those worlds are so uh, well drawn, not just in terms of drawing an image, but the world is so detailed and filled with observations. Yeah, it's really a work of art. Like it's so beautiful. And the way it's themed with like blues and jazz, mm. and yet it's this crazy Japanese science fiction mm. thing. The intermarriage of those things shouldn't necessarily work, mm. but it does work because it has some of the most memorable anime characters ever and just great writing. Like the plots are so satisfying. The only drawback, I think, is that the main villain is kind of the most stereotypical anime villain you could ever imagine. But of course, the plots around him and the way he acts and stuff is more interesting. But yeah, he reminds me a bit of Sephiroth from uh, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. When I was a kid, I really liked Sephiroth. It was, Sephiroth! Uh, it was like kind of an epic villain character. Yeah, I mean, that was a, an amazing game. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna watch through it. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And while I was watching it, I started thinking, you know, I, I really do like these kind of space western things. It's been ages, but I'd like to watch Firefly again. And there's, um, there's also this American... Yeah, I never really got into Firefly. I, I don't yeah. know what it is, but it felt... I know it has a huge cult following, mm. and it's probably not terrible, but I just... I found it... I mean, to me, it looked a bit cheap, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, you mm. can do good stuff a little, but I don't know. It felt a bit... Yeah, I kind of liked the look of the thing. And the vibe uh... was, reminded me of Battlestar Galactica a bit. Like, the, yeah. the kind of low-budget science fiction in yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh, late that, 90s. That kind of what TV used to look like. Yep. I, I think I like the characters and stuff. Like, I haven't seen it for ages. and It's kind of short as well. Yeah. So that's a nice thing. But I love, it's... like, in that setting, it's a, mm. it's a good setting for memorable characters. Mm. Like, all sorts of weird lowlife and smugglers and weird criminals. And in one of the episodes of Cabo Bebop, there's, like, this sort of parody of Greenpeace, almost. Where, like, there's, like, this species of aquatic rats on Ganymede or Europe or somewhere that's being under threat. Mm. It's a delicacy. And, mm. like, they're trying to blow up the planet because of that and stuff. So it's, like... A lot of like societal commentary as well. It's very good. It's not just about adventure. It says a lot of stuff about life, death, and the world. It also got me thinking about this American independent filmmaker. It's called um, Corey McCabe. Who has? Uh, I've seen a couple of his films. Maybe most notably, The American Astronaut, which is kind of like a. It's it's like super low budget, black and white space western. Has some musical elements to it. It's kind of weird. It's kind of janky, but really charming and really fun. He does his own thing, and I think he does it pretty well. At least in these. Uh, what's the other one? Um, Stingray Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about those. Uh, I haven't actually watched them. They're kind of classy, I think. Yeah. From what I, I watched some reviews of them on YouTube. They look very interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've been in a kind of science fiction mood lately. Mm. I've also been watching a lot of uh, John Carpenter movies. Oh, yeah. Always good. Yeah. I mean, they're so, like, even when they're bad, they're really enjoyable mm. uh, for the most part. He does have some horrible movies, but for the most part, they're really interesting in some way. I watched uh, Prince of Darkness. I don't know if you've seen that one. Oh, yeah. It's very flawed. It's not a great movie, but it does have some very like memorable stuff that happens and a very good atmosphere. Like John Carpenter is so good with atmosphere. But I also watched Escape from New York. Just such a classic. Ages since I saw that. Kurt Russell is just so fucking badass. Yeah. Like he's genuinely badass where most action heroes try to be badass because he's essentially just unlikable and a fucking asshole, which makes him more believable than like this bad guy who tries to be good. Mm. That's another thing I like about Spike Spiegel in Cabo Bebop. He's genuinely kind of egotistical and yeah. not a good guy. <laughs> like that makes your sort of character more interesting than just this milk toast or hero type. And you know, I think I even kind of like Escape from L.A. Yeah, that, I mean, that movie is marred by some seriously horrific CGI, but... It has its moments, I think. Yeah, I mean, John Carpenter says it's, it's way better than Escape from New York. He thinks it has a better me message. Yeah, that's nice. I'm glad somebody cares about that sort of stuff. I mean, most people hate that movie, but... Those things are always, always a question of expectations, but... It's, yeah, I but mean, it's, it's weird to watch movies from that period uh, where CGI just isn't good enough, mm. unless you have a huge budget, and even then, you can it sort of looks janky. Whereas when you go back to the 80s, you have these like beautiful matte paintings mm. and like all this physical props and stuff. I, I mean, this has been discussed a lot, like in movie discussions in the past like 10 years, I think, like the, like how physical props and stuff 
are often way more interesting than just doing CGI. Of course, CGI now is very, very good and you often don't notice it. But I think it's just so cool, like John Carpenter's 80s stuff mm. with, with all these like cool effects and props and stuff. Yeah. Like it's, the thing. Yeah, like it's, it's just so cool. It looks so good. I mean, ideally, you, if you mix those things, you can get to, you know, the zenith of both. Yeah, you can get to Nirvana. I think that like there's definitely a huge space for like actual CGI and stuff. I don't think that should be knocked just because you notice it when it's bad. But there's this like interacting with stuff too, like physical stuff. It makes a difference to an actor, I think. A lot of studios now use like projection to show the renders. So the actors have more of a sense of space and stuff. Mm. And that's definitely an Im improvement over the old green screen. Yeah, yeah, like the Mandalorian. That's also like a, a space western uh, yeah. enjoyable. I mean, it's uh, basically a spaghetti western in space. Mm. And of course, George Lucas is hugely inspired by the old samurai and, uh, and western mm. movies. It's definitely better to have a render of it. Just having the green screen. I am reminded of Ian McKellen having a nervous breakdown on the set of The Hobbit because he's such a classically trained actor having to interact with a fucking screen all day. I've also been watching some series lately. I started actually watching Wheel of Time. Yeah, me too. Which my expectations were very low because I thought like the trailer just looked terrible. It looked oh, yeah. so bland and so boring. The trailer was garbage. Mm, and these are those books, I read them when I was like 19, 18, and I quite enjoyed them. Uh, I thought there were, you know, interesting character relations and that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I think the series isn't bad. It isn't bad. It goes a bit too fast in the beginning for my taste. Like, it doesn't spend enough time building those character relations. Well, so. the creator, Rafe Judkins, originally wanted 10 episodes for the first season, mm. but he only got eight so it got very condensed in the beginning. And I think the series suffered a bit for it. The first episode just does not have time to breathe, which is kind of in contrast to the first book, which really sets Definitely. the tone mm. of the characters and the sort of coziness of Emmons Field. And, and it's important because... It leans so heavily on what happens with those relationships, how those interactions, they're, if they're supposed to resonate with me as a viewer, you know, you have to kind of convince me a bit first. And it glosses over that too quickly for my taste. Yeah. If you're going to care about the relationships changing, like if you've only seen the relationship for a 30 second scene, <laughs> you know, it's not mm. that impactful. That said, I do think it's really well cast, especially I think Nynaeve and uh, Egwene are really good. And I'm, I'm warming to Rand. At first I thought Rand looked like a bit of a douche. Yeah, Rand is pretty... I, I would say the casting is surprisingly good. Yeah. And Rosamund Pike as Moraine is sure. absolutely yeah. stellar. She's great. I would always. say the writing is a bit on the edge sometimes. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of mixed, but I also think that's a little bit because they haven't had time to build characters properly. Yeah. And um, I feel, think that the world is well realized. I, I like the interpretation of Two Rivers, the village they grew up in. That had kind of a unique look to it. Yeah, so. I, I think some of the stuff looks really good. And mm. I love all these sort of wide shots of the landscapes mm. and stuff. It's beautiful. I would say some stuff looks a bit like too costumey, yep. a bit too clean. Yep. And uh, as I said, some of the writing is a bit strange and... It's sort of, but I think like it has the potential to become a good series. Well, the thing is, like I said, I, I wasn't expecting much. I was expecting nothing. And uh, it's easily watchable, I think. I find it kind of uh, easy to enjoy. And I mean, it's ages since I read the books, so I don't remember all the details. And so I'm not so hung up on that stuff. 
but no. I, I found it kind of a, an enjoyable watch. I think it's, they um, wanted to focus on the core of the series, and I think they did a pretty good job mm. of that, actually, while having to cut so much content because it's a long book, mm. and a gigantic series. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised mm. at how just entertaining and watchable yeah. it is. Yeah. I will say, I don't think it's very good. No. Uh, it's, but it's... It's an incredibly difficult prospect to have to make these books into a series. So I, I guess I, I, I think there's potential for it to, to grow. I get the impression that a lot of people care a lot about making it right. Yeah. Uh, even if there there are flaws and stuff. So mm. yeah, it was interesting, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. Me too. Yeah. I, I also saw the uh, the Beatles documentary Get Back. Did you see that yet? Yeah, the Beatles documentary Get Out by uh, by Jordan Peele. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. No, get back by, oh. by uh, Nicholas Cage. No, what was his name? <laughs> um, Peter Jackson. Yeah, you, did you see it? I didn't see it. I've, I've heard about it. I'm actually quite a big Beatles fan. I, I love the Beatles. Yeah, I, I just saw some clips of it. Yeah, oh. it's nice. I mean, like the pitch of it isn't so easy. I mean, other other than that, you know, you want to see the Beatles and and this is kind of exclusive footage, but just watching it, it's kind of like just hanging out in the studio with them. They're kind of just messing about a lot. They're very playful, and there's a there's a fairly big section where Paul's uh, kid is hanging about and she's knocking on the drums, and you know, no one's getting annoyed. It, it's very kind of inclusive. That that atmosphere is very yeah. Um, yeah it, it's enjoyable. I really like it. And that's interesting because. Things were actually pretty tense in the band at that point, well, and they were towards the edge of breaking well, up. And, well, that's and, kind of what it explores a bit, because yeah. sure, there is tension, but there's a lot of just good vibes. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're very close, and it doesn't feel as tense as I'd imagine it be from, like, my previous information about that period of the... You know, there's, there's so much warmth and um, good times as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they didn't stay in touch after the Beatles. Like, mm. they were friends afterwards. I think Paul and John probably took a couple of years until they met again, but then they met kind of regularly. Mm. And, uh, and Ringo, of course, is everybody's friend. Yeah. And George, he's just the eternal aloof hippie. Very likable, him too. Yeah, because he kind of quits the band for a bit. But as they say in the documentary, like, everyone's quit the band for a little bit at some point, yeah. right? And I get it. it. It's kind of tense. But uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your opinions of it. Because as a musician, I, I expect that some of that would be familiar to you with just the, you know, the communication. Sometimes there's just a glance while they're doing something. A lot of the times that, you know, they're doing the same songs and they're testing it out in different ways. And they're kind of, that communication, I find really interesting to look at. So, yeah, I've... I've seen some clips and I'm I'm very much reminded about a lot of band dynamics that I've seen in bands that I've been in. And also like in general, you don't really bring up dramatic stuff in band practice <laughs> in my experience. Mm. Even though there can be tension, you mm. don't really deal with that when you're trying to jam or make music like that mm. would just make everything miserable. So. Mm. Well, um, you may not know this, but I've actually started a film club. Um, oh, really? Oh, really, yes. It's called Weird and Wonderful Cinema. And it's about surreal and absurdist cinema. You know, it's not a commercial organization, but we, you know, we pay the rights for the films and then we screen them at like this beautiful cafe with, with a big screen. It's, it's part of uh, Krulofta, which is kind of like a, an artist collective with workshops and stuff. They moved a few years ago to a new space and they had these beautiful old buildings uh, where they have a cafe. We're screening them there and we've shown two films so far. We've shown, I mean, the profile is kind of kind of obscure, surreal, absurdist films that you may not have heard of, but are very interesting. And Could you give some examples? Yeah. 
That's what I was just I'm about not quite to... sure what it is you're The first about. film we saw was Jan Svankmeyer's Conspirators of Pleasure, which is a film not a lot of people have seen unless you're specifically interested in him as a director. But it is a very funny and weird movie. It's about like these six characters who each have their own project where they're exploring like a fetish. But it's not an explicit movie. It's like you're making like a sensory machine where you're, you're touching like uh, coarse fabrics or something and you hear classical music or you kind of have a, a doll of your neighbour that you're having like a, a BDSM ritual with. It's, <laughs> it, but it's, it's super sort of fun and playful and weird. I really like that movie and it got a very good response. Like uh, I think his feature films are, are also very good and this is maybe his best. And then we also saw The Hourglass Sanatorium by um, Wojciech Haas, who's this Polish director. Kind of a bit forgotten, but he did make a few of these uh, really interesting surrealist movies. This one is based on a bunch of uh, Bruno Schultz's short stories. Also, like, super beautiful. Like, the camera work and the set design and costumes, really amazing. Yeah, and then we're going to show Daisies, which is a Czech new wave, kind of classic feminist, crazy, playful Great film and uh, The Forbidden Room by Guy Madden, which is this another example of like a very feverish, you know, fragmented film, but very different from Inland Empire. It's much more playful and funny and like all these images melting into each other. Uh, they, they use like a, this digital technique that looks really nice. Um, I mean, Guy Madden is, is pretty insane. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So that's sort of stuff we're, we're showing and, and uh, that's really fun. It, it's kind of, the focus is, you know, you're watching the film, but you also have this conversation afterwards where you're trying to pass and, and you know, talk about what you've seen. Yeah. And unlike unpleasant cinema, you don't have a lot of audience members walking out <laughs> and, and puking and fainting. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's more fun and more playful. Uh, that's good. We've also talked about, you know, things like Greasy Strangler would fit well in uh, and maybe uh, Wolf House that we talked about with Casa Lobo. Yeah, uh, Greasy Strangler is essentially a comedy. Yeah. A horrible comedy. <laughs> yeah. Very funny and very weird. Yeah, I love that movie. So yeah, I've, I've been dealing with that stuff uh, while lately. That sounds amazing. I've been meaning to check out that Swankmire movie. Mm. But yeah, I watched... Uh, the Green Knight the other day. Oh, have you seen that? It's so good. I really like it. I was kind of surprised at it. Like the cinematography is so beautiful. Mm, mm, it's beautiful. Uh, it's kind of boring, but I mean, that's kind of the point. Like there's so many almost iconic scenes or not even scenes, but like imagery. Mm. It's such a like uh, illuminated manuscript mm. to see like scenes of by far not my favorite movie this year, but it was interesting to watch. A24 always does interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Lowry is, is the director. He also did Ghost Story. Yeah, which I did not like, but I, I like this a lot more. Uh, I think it has, you know, as you say, a lot of powerful imagery, but it has this melancholic tone, and I love the way it treats folklore or legend as something much more ambiguous and dangerous in a way. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how faithfully it's an adaptation of yeah. the medieval story. It's, yeah. it's pretty much the same story except with a different ending, mm. which is worth watching mm. to see. I love that story too. It's mm. one of the weirdest medieval tales. <laughs> it's such a strange story. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this Green Knight? Yeah, I'm like, chop off his head and mm. he's like, now I'm going to chop your head off next Christmas <laughs> if you're honorable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's so, it has these fairytale qualities uh, to it as well, I think. Yeah, yeah it's great. 
I love weird movies. But you know, I, I'd love it if this guy went on and did several, you know, films relating to the court of Arthur, these myths or, or stories that, that are kind of, you know, they're not so known, but, you know, very interesting, I think. Yeah, or you could do like a bit later medieval stuff like Chaucer and stuff would be yeah. interesting. Uh, a lot of that stuff is not v much made into movies. Mm. And a lot of it is like body and funny as fuck. And, so. and uh, has a lot of cinematic potential, I think. Yeah, for sure. You know, HBO should do a miniseries on the Canterbury Tales. <laughs> that would be great. You have like this framing device. That would be nice, yeah. Uh, I'd see that. And then you can have like weird, weird uh, directors do each episode. Mm. I also thought Arabian Nights as a series is, is like a, a good concept. Like could be an episode, all these tales within a tale within a tale. Yeah. And then you can have Will Smith be the genie and... Uh, he is the best genie. Yeah, truly is. Rest in peace. Rest, rest in pieces. I think that that's probably it for us on this fine December evening. And that's uh, a nice little talk about things we've seen and done. and Things we will see and do and things we'll never see and do. That's right. We've scoped it all. Yes. So, we hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk a bit and uh, have a good one. Have a good one, mate. Bye-bye. See ya. Bitch.